Hi, this is Gord Miller from TSN. Today I'm inside the truck with Steve and Paul talking all about the World Junior Hockey Championship. Season's greetings to you and yours. This is Inside the Truck, presented by Summer Skates. Show your game off the ice. Inside the Truck, pulling back the curtain on sports television production. Here is Steve Lansky and Paul Hemming. I'm Steve Lansky. In 41 years of live sports television production, I've produced Hockey Night in Canada, including the Stanley Cup playoffs. I've produced the CFL on CBC, including the 1989 Grey Cup. I am the luckiest guy on earth. And I'm Paul Hemming. I've been a live sports TV director for over 20 years. I directed 16 consecutive World Junior Hockey Championships for TSN, the golden goal of the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver. Currently, I'm the director for the Carolina Hurricanes on Fox Sports Carolinas. I really, really love that holiday theme that our musical director, Jeff Kozak, did for us. But that's the last time we're going to hear it this year, Paul. That makes me sad. I know, sad. But Kozman did a fantastic job on that. And I'm already looking ahead to wheeling it out again next Christmas. Oh, I like that. Or maybe he'll write a new one. I think it just comes out of his head. He can't stop it. All right. We got a lot going in this podcast today. So after the pod where we talk about things that happened after we recorded the last podcast, what have you got this week, Paul? Got nothing, Steve. There's no after the pod this week? Not this week. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Uh, all right. Let's uh, I'll scratch that off my list. What about mailbag? We'll move on to mailbag. What do you got, buddy? Got nothing, Steve. Nothing in mailbag this week. There's no, there's no, why do we have production meetings? Why do we send each other 10,000 DMs a week? If we're, I don't, I don't even feel like I know what's happening in this show. Audio, stand by your theme music and cue audio. You've you've gone into director mode. I have no idea what Adios, you want. Stand by your theme and hit your theme. <laughs> well, there's a red button here. I guess I'll just hit it. Now that's Christmas music, Steve, <laughs> right there. PSN International Hockey Music. That is sweet music to all Canadians' ears. And for those of you who aren't from Canada or don't know what we're talking about, this episode is dedicated entirely to the World Junior Hockey Championships, which is a marquee event for TSN. It's basically the equivalent of March Madness on Ice for international hockey. It's the largest event on TSN's calendar. It always has the most viewers, the biggest budget, the most production, the largest crew. It is truly the crown jewel in TSN's portfolio. But it wasn't always that way. And we're going to talk a bit about that today, too. But they've had billboards and bus boards in Toronto for three weeks promoting this tournament. It is absolutely huge in this country. And you did 16 of them in a row, Paul. What, what years did you direct the, the World Junior? Uh, I directed 16 consecutive from 1999 uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And my last one was in Malmo, Sweden in 2014. And Canada wins this tournament every year, right? That's We understand that? Well, there's been a couple of really good runs. They've won five <laughs> in a row twice. I think that those days are over. This is pretty, pretty fair and balanced tournament now with uh, some top European teams. Fair enough. But we still call this episode Christmas Gold because really... <laughs> We know that's what's going to be brought home, right? <laughs> well, and not only that, but being just, if you're a Canadian, being able to sit in front of your TV and watch Team Canada play at the World Juniors is almost like getting a piece of gold dropped in your stocking on Christmas morning. You are brilliant. Have I called you brilliant lately? That is brilliant the way you tied that together. Okay, here's a couple of World Junior questions. What year was the first World Junior played? 1979. Oh, pretty good. It was a trick question, actually. Uh, it started in 74, but the first official tournament sanctioned by the IIHF was 1977. Banska, Bistrica, and Zvolen in Northwest Czechoslovakia. Not wow. even Czech Republic. No. Czechoslovakia, wow. right? Wow. Okay. Canada's first team at the World Junior was not a national team. What team represented Canada at the first World Junior? It was 
the Olympic team? Ooh, that's an excellent guess, but incorrect. It was the 1970. Damn. It was the 1976 Memorial Cup champions, the mm. St. Catherine's Fin Cups. Wow. One of the worst team nicknames in the history. Yeah, of major what is junior a, hockey. What is a Fin Cup anyway? Well, it's the two guys who own the team. It's their huh. name. It's their name. Moosh together, and that is the word Moosh. Dale McCourt, Rob Ramage, Brad Marsh, Willie Huber, Dave wow. Hunter, Stanley wow. Cup champion with the Edmonton Oilers. I'm going to throw that in. John Anderson, all on that team. Bert Templeton was the head coach. When did Canada win its first gold medal, buddy? Was that Gretzky in 78 or 79? Excellent guess. Gretzky was 78, but it was not. It was 1982, the very first time Canada had a national team at the oh, tournament. Oh, right? yes. yes. It was in Minnesota in the United States. See, and you're they all did, over it, man. That's and, right. And the arena did not have the Canadian national anthem, so the guys had to sing it. That's correct. Graham Arena <laughs> in Rochester, Minnesota. You're right. Troy Murray, Kerry Wilson, Mike Moeller, Scott mm -hmm. O'Neill were on that team. Listen to the defense that head coach Dave King had. You ready? Mm -hmm. His D was Gord Kluzak, James Patrick, Paul Boudelier, Randy Moeller, Gary Nyland, and Garth Butcher. There's no way wow. they're not winning, right? Wow. No, exactly. If you're the other team, you're scared crapless to go across the blue line. You're going to get yeah. killed. Yeah, you are. In goal was Mike Moffat and Frank Caprice. And since we're talking wow. about TSN at the World Junior, their first year was 91. Who did play-by-play -play and color that year? Go. Jim Houston and Gary Green. You are all over this. And it's oh. listen, it's important that everybody knows Paul did not know these questions in advance. That's right. Huey and Greener were in the booth. Paul Romanuk and Bob McKenzie hosted on the set. So directing 16 world juniors in a row for you, that's that's got to be a record. Nobody's directed any show that long. Chet Forty didn't even direct Monday Night Football for that long. Yeah, I'm definitely the clubhouse leader in this event, uh, for sure, Steve-O. There's been a, a, a list of impressive directors that have also been a part of this tournament. Uh, and sticking with T the TSN side, uh, Rick Chisholm uh, directed the first one in Saskatchewan in 1991. Larry Brown went on an incredible run of gold. Uh, through the 90s. Richard Wells finished up uh, the, the late 90s. I took over in 99 and uh, and did 16 of them in a row. So Andy Bayukas is currently the director on this event. Um, and I think he's done seven. So this would be his eighth. So he's uh, halfway home if he wants to break the record. And how many truck producers did you outlast in this tournament? You obviously would have had more than one over the 16 years, right? Yeah, I had three. Doug Walton was the first producer that I worked with, and that was in 99 uh, and 2000. Doug was a longtime NHL on TSN producer, their lead producer. Doug is now the senior coordinating producer for Blue Jays baseball at Sportsnet. Then I went on a run of 12 of them in a row with John Hines. John is the senior producer for CFL on TSN and directs, or sorry, produces the Grey Cup every year. My final two were with Mitch Kersner uh, in 2013 in Russia in 2014 in Sweden. Uh, Mitch is currently the producer for the Chicago Blackhawks on NBC Sports Chicago. And the current executive producer of the World Juniors on TSN is a gentleman named Paul Graham. He's the vice president and executive producer of programming at TSN. Full disclosure, Paul and I started in broadcast television the exact same day, October 1st, 1979. We were in the ITV truck in Edmonton. I was the stats guy in the booth beside our play-by-play -play guy, Tim Dancy. It was a preseason game for the Edmonton Oilers. And Paul operated the Chiron in the truck. Chiron, a machine once used to generate on-screen graphics, like stats on your favorite players. So I'm upstairs basically talking to Paul for the entire game back and forth, and we did that for the better part of five years. So I have known Paul Graham for a very long time, 41 years. So when we talked to Paul, he mentioned that the CBC started as the broadcaster for the World Junior, and it did not get a ton of attention on CBC. It got more after the 1987 punch-up in Piastani when Don Whitman and Sherry Basson were in the booth, and that kind of brought attention to the tournament, not good attention, but it brought attention. And when we talked to Paul, everybody's got a nickname, right, Paul? So his nickname's PG. Yep. So when we talked to PG, he equated CBC to having the tournament kind of as an airplane, and it was stuck in the hangar a little bit. 
So Paul said when TSN started the tournament in 91, then they moved to Fusen, Germany in 92. And that's when PG came on board. And he said, we got to got the plane onto the runway in that tournament because they had Eric Lindros on that club and they didn't finish great, but they kind of got the plane in the air on TSN. And then PG said that in the late 90s, TSN always took a break at Christmas. Anybody who watched the network then knows. And the network was, you know, new-ish. He said they'd run plays of the year, promotion, advertising groups. They all took time off at Christmas. And he said the beauty of that tournament then was they were kind of their own little island. They could produce whatever they wanted for the network because the network had nothing else. And that's what was going to run. And he said that was a huge bonus for them. So here is TSN Vice President and Executive Producer of Programming, Paul Grant. And so when I came back in, in 2010, uh, the, the plane was going along nicely up up there at, uh, at 10,000 or 15,000 feet. Our team took it from there right up to 35,000 feet. And, and what that was really was a combination of telling more stories, expanding our coverage in terms of technical gear on location, more cameras, better replays but also more games. Again, people forget that TSN didn't always show all the games of the tournament. Matter of fact, in the early years, we didn't even show all the Canadian games. And so my mission when I came back to TSN was to make sure that we found a way to really make it a tournament to show every game. And that's what we've been doing for the last several years is showing every single game of the tournament, including relegation. Uh, and what that's what that has led to is is massive success of the tournament, not only in Canada, but in Europe. So the Europeans now are covering the tournament like they never have before. As a matter of fact, right now, um, every game is seen in the States. Every game is seen in Russia. Every game is seen in Sweden. Every game is seen in Finland. And a lot of the other European countries show multiple games, not just their, the games from the countries competing. So, so I would say my, my stake in that is getting the tournament up to 35,000 feet and, uh, and cruising along nicely. But we're not done there yet. We still have a lot of work to do, uh, to get it to the next level, which is, uh, which is more countries taking the television signal and growing the ratings and continuing to work with our good partners at Hockey Canada and the IHF and making the tournament bigger. Uh, than it ever has been. You know, Paul, it's amazing to me to think that TSN didn't do some of the Canadian games in Europe at tournaments and even in the United States, Boston comes to mind because they're in smaller rinks in smaller towns and it was just way too costly to mount a one-off show in a rink where you were just going to do that single game. I've been in a few of those rinks in Europe, Steve, so it makes total sense to me. And and Steve, one of the other things about this tournament too is just is the dedication that the crew members both production and technical have to make to this show because they're giving up Christmas or the holiday season, the biggest family time of the year to be away for what basically amounts to three weeks. And that's one of the things PG talked about. One of the other things, you know, extremely proud of is, is the crew that does this tournament every year. Well, most Canadians and other people around the world are, you know, with their family, chilling out, having a great dinner uh, over Christmas. There's a lot of dedicated men and women, technicians and production people that have been covering this tournament for a number of years. I mean, we have some folks in our crew that are 20 plus years covering this tournament, which basically means 20 plus years being away from their family and friends at Christmas. And uh, it's an amazing group. Quite honestly, they are the best technicians in the country. So we have the, the cream of the crop that want to get on this crew and want to stay on this crew. And we make sure that we, we treat them right because we know it's, it's a lot that they're giving up to be away from their friends and family. And what's, what's basically happened over the years is, is they've become our family. We're all everybody's family because we spend special time together at Christmas working together. But this tournament really doesn't get to the next stage or the next level unless you've got dedicated folks that want to go in and, and cover it from cameramen to EVS operators to producers and directors and announcers if it wasn't for that group you know you wouldn't you wouldn't get to see it and so kudos to them uh every year and and we look at the bubble this year at edmonton we have all in about 90 people working on the tournament um we've had to cut back a little bit because of one location and obviously COVID. uh last year in in, in europe we were over 100 so uh, it, it speaks to the commitment for the from the folks that want to work on the tournament and, uh, and they do such a great job. I mean, those pictures are seen by millions and millions of people around the world. 
Steve-O, I, I was uh, one of the leaders of the, the crew that Paul spoke about there for a number of years. And I'll tell you, every year that we put this uh, tournament together, we had the best television technicians that Canada had to offer. I mean, when I did it, it was so good. There was a waiting list, you know, at each position for new people to try to get on the crew. Wow. And guys who had their positions would not give them up. In Canada, uh, for Canadian hockey, it was seen as a badge of honor, you know, to work of as many of them as you can. And, and Steve, every Christmas dinner, Paul Graham creates an award ceremony or certificates bearing the number of years that each crew member has worked on the tournament are, is presented to them. And uh, it, it's quite, quite, a, quite a night. It's an emotional night. It's a fun night. You know, you have laughs. And, and, uh, and you know, in the Canadian television world, it's, it's really seen as quite an honor to be on this crew. And another great coming together moment somewhere in the middle of Europe on a cold winter night and you had a couple of these that you did that were especially tough being away right mr hemming yeah i mean when you make when you make the dedication to be away every christmas and you have you know uh, elderly parents you just never know when the last one is going to be yeah. um and for me uh the 2006 tournament in vancouver was very tough because uh in december of 2005 in the span of six weeks i lost my father and my best friend paul mclean and was a, a pallbearer at both their funerals, packed up my bag and left my mom to go to Vancouver to do that tournament. That tournament for me, I was an emotional wreck, but it certainly didn't hurt me professionally, Steve, because uh, ironically, I ended up winning a Gemini that year for best sports direction of the gold medal game <laughs> in Vancouver. And then as history normally does, it repeated itself uh, in 2009, the Christmas of 2009, leading into the 2010 tournament, my mom was in and out of hospital multiple times she ended up passing in february uh, of 2010 so just after a month after i got back from the tournament in saskatchewan um so i missed last christmases with both my mom and dad as an only child that's a bit of a killer but again ironically it didn't hurt my performance because i won a gemini award that year as well for best sports direction in the gold medal game so uh those were a couple of christmases that were really tough for me I was nominated for one Gemini at Sportsnet. I think I probably would have won seven or eight if they had a jackass category, but uh, <laughs> but they don't. So because Paul Graham has had a couple of stints at the World Junior Tournament, leaving to go do hockey night and work at the NBA and then come back, it's a tough question for him to answer what his favorite World Junior is of all time, but we asked him anyway. What I would say is that it uh, kind of goes in different categories. In the early 90s, when I, when I first started out with the junior program, you know, Canada didn't do so well in Foos in Germany. I think finished, uh, finished sixth in the tournament, even though they had Eric Lindros and, and Trevor Kidd and uh, Scott Niedemeyer, Daryl Sador, Paul Correa, but they didn't do so well. And so that was a tough way to start. But then uh, they won five gold medals in a row. And that was pretty cool to be part of that run uh, with the first gold medal against a stacked team in Sweden, Peter Forsberg and company. And then they won it again in the Czech Republic. Uh, Jason Allison scored a couple of incredible goals. Uh, huge turnout in, in uh, Red Deer with a super team, win another gold medal. Go down to the States in the Boston area, win another gold medal with Joel McGinley leading the way. And then uh, wrap up five in a row in in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. So being part of that was was really cool. I probably think the the one that stands out the most for me would probably be two two thirteen um, in Russia in Ufa, Russia. It was just such a challenge to put that tournament together as host broadcaster in Ufa, uh, a city. Uh, two and a half hours southeast of Moscow and I uh, had to make several trips over there in advance. But at the end of the day, it was so rewarding to know that our group did an excellent job over there and that the Russians and particularly the, the good folks of Ufa loved us over there. We have many great stories and really they became part of our family as well. And I think if you pulled a lot of our guys and, and, and women that work on our show, they'd say the same thing that Ufa was just special. Yeah, I can't imagine picking which tournament would be the most memorable one for you. Thanks for joining us, PG. We really appreciate it. And you worked on a bunch of those tournaments, Paul, especially in UFA in 2013, right? Yeah, I was there with Paul in UFA, which is, was in the far east regions of Russia. It was on the border of Kazakhstan. And it was an unbelievable experience, both professionally and personally. I got a chance to see a part of the world that I would never have seen. 
if it had not been for the World Junior Tournament. I got to meet the nicest Russians I've ever met in my life. Even though they couldn't speak a word of English, they accepted us like we were family. And from a professional standpoint, Steve, it's the first time I've ever directed multiple games with camera guys who didn't, on headset, working a camera that was getting red tallies that had no idea how to speak English. I had two Russian camera guys on that crew. And so it was funny, during the camera meeting every day, I would have a translator and I would say, okay, here's, you know, here's Sergey's assignments for today. This, this, this. I need Sergey to work on this and to not do this, and but to do this. And then he would say it in Russian. Sergey would look at me, shake his head and be like, <laughs> ah, give me the thumbs up. And it's like, okay, we were good to go. That's how we did that one. So it was just, Rufa was an amazing experience all across the board. It's one I'll always treasure, uh, much like PG. I, I have so many memories when you do 16 of them, right? 1999 was in Winnipeg. That was my first one. And, you know, as they say, never forget your, your first time. And we spoke briefly about that on previous episodes. 2001 Moscow. If you want the deal on that one, just listen to E9. It's a do-over. We go into great lengths about the, uh, well, I mean, it was really a made-for-TV movie uh, (laughs) about what happened there. 2002 in the Czech Republic. Stan Butler, I'll never forget this. Canada lost a heartbreaker in the gold medal game, 5-4 to Russia. And Canada had been on a string in the 90s of of gold medals, right? And so it had sort of become Hockey Canada's MO that Hockey Canada was not preaching this. It was just, you win a gold, you lose a silver. So whenever Canada would win a silver, it would feel like they lost, right? Right. And it's silver is nothing to be embarrassed about. That's an unbelievable performance in an international event, right? Yeah. So I'll never forget the airport leaving check after the tournament. All of Team Canada's guys were just, they were all so distraught. They felt that they'd let an entire nation down. They had all their medals folded up in their pockets. And Stan Butler went around to them at the gate because we were on Team Canada's flight, went around to them at the gate and pointed to every guy and said, get your medal out, put it on, get your medal out, put it on, be proud. Be proud, silver, be proud of that. So, and he went around and made every guy take his medal out and put it on and wear it on the flight home. I'll never forget that. Love that story. Stan Butler was head coach of the Brampton Battalion, right? Mm-hmm. And head coach of Team Canada that year in Raditz Kralova. 2005 Grand Forks, who can forget that team? That was the, the lockout year and yeah. Team Canada was stacked. It was basically an NHL uh, team that played and won gold in that tournament. 2006, we talked about um, with my dad and my best friend, Paul McLean passing. That was a tough one. 2010 in Saskatchewan with my mom. 2011, the epic Canada collapse against Russia in the gold medal game. That's a moment I can close my eyes and remember like it was yesterday. That was in Buffalo, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, where Canada gave up like five unanswered goals to lose the gold medal game. I'll never forget that, Steve. So Nike, being the official uh, outfitter of the tournament, they award, They were the company that produced the, the gold medal caps and the gold medal T-shirts that you would see the players put on and wear after the tournament, right? Right, after, right. You know, after the, after the gold medal game. <laughs> so we have, you know, it, part of the deal was they have to stage that, right? They have to go in in the third period and put a T-shirt in front of everybody and a hat and stuff, right? So I'll never forget it. They set it all up in the Canada room and we had cameras backstage where we could see the hallway and the, the, the shift from the Team Canada room down the hallway to set up the Russian room was classic. After it was just like, they score, they score, they score. And it was just like, just and the, just the emotion, right? Because that that year in Buffalo, it was just basically a, a pro-Canadian crowd, right? I mean, all you had to do is cross the border at Fort Erie. And you it was basically a home game for Team Canada. But man, when the Russians scored their sixth goal, you could hear a pin drop and... I mean, the only people you could hear screaming was the Russian bench and their coaches and stuff. It was, I'll never forget that. I can remember that like it happened yesterday. And no podcast about the World Junior Championship on TSN would be complete without talking to their lead producer, Chris Edwards. He took over that role in 2015. The 2021 World Junior will be his 11th World Junior Championship and his seventh in the big chair. But the most important part of Chris's bio is that he and I both graduated, I assume he graduated, from Ross Shepard Composite High School on 111th Avenue in Edmonton. Go T-Birds. Eddie, uh, we both made our World Junior uh, debuts in 1999 in Winnipeg. Uh, what was your most vivid memory from the 16 days in, uh, in Manitoba? Well, besides uh, the bitter cold, because it was absolutely freezing there those two weeks, uh, and being uh, <laughs> being relegated to a 
an ATCO trailer next to the main truck doing, um, God, I think I had a, uh, a two tape uh, machine that I was uh, doing highlights for the international side. I remember uh, I was done um, my portion of the tournament when the gold medal game was about halfway through. And I went into the uh, went into Winnipeg Arena uh, for the overtime, and I had never heard a louder building in my life. With Russia Canada was just a phenomenal game. That was the year that that uh, Bobby Lou carried a, a team that probably shouldn't have been in the gold medal game. Took them all the way, and it was just it was deafening in there. And then when I think it was uh, Chubarov, I think scored the overtime winner the place just went dead silent. And then it was amazing. It went from, you know, raucous to dead silent. And then it was a total appreciation for, um, especially for Luongo for what he had done. But it was, it was to this day, again, it was the loudest building I've ever been in my life. Over the 10 tournaments you've done, Chris, what are the most quote valuable production lessons that you've learned? If there's one or two things that stick out in your head, wow, I really got this from doing this tournament. What would it be? Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, I've learned something every tournament. I would say it's the last, last, well, this will be number seven now that I've been in the lead chair. I've really learned something every, uh, every go. Um, I would say probably we've always considered this, you know, a Canadian tournament and Canadian production. But I think one of the biggest lessons I have learned, and it was really reinforced in uh, 2016 in Helsinki, is that how much this tournament means to other countries as well. And when, when the Finns won gold on home soil, it really brought that home. Just what it means, these kids, um, how you've got to capture that by, you know, being, uh, by being fair and unbiased. And, and, you know, so you're not just doing a game for Canada and Canadian fans, you're doing it for the world. Uh, it's a great lesson for me that I learned uh, that I've taken to use uh when I was uh, working in Pyeongchang and, uh, and done some other international events that you got to keep, you know, an unbiased, fair approach, you know, there's another, another aspect of it is just feed off the emotion that's there for you. Let, let, let your director, the next to you, that's next to you. And I've been next to Paul and he's, he's done this, just let them do their work. Cause there's so much great stuff on the ice, in the building, in the crowd, on the bench that sometimes as a producer, you just got to, lay back and let the guy next to you uh, do his thing. Chris, you mentioned the one thing that just through the success of the tournament, that it's uh, the popularity is built up in, in all these international countries, being the broadcast partner for hockey Canada, uh, how much influence do they have on the content of the show? You know what I've, I've, I've found, uh, especially last seven years, we've had a phenomenal relationship with them. And of course, yeah, they have their, uh, you know, they have their wish list and they have, uh, they got certain sponsorship and, um, you know, we want to promote, you know, Canadian hockey as much as possible. But I, I've, I've felt that we've had a very non, oh, I'm not sure what, what the word is, non- Non-partisan. Yeah, non-partisan, non, non-influential, like uh, influential uh, relationship. I've, you know, I've never had any instant where instance where I've had to back off how I'm doing a game or, do anything really differently. I think that it's been a very good relationship where maybe it speaks to the level of the production that, the, you know, they like what we do. And uh, I think we do a very fair job and the kids aren't playing well. We're not afraid to say that. Um, but I think we've done a, we've done a very, been a very uh, fair broadcaster. I personally haven't, uh, you know, haven't had any issues whatsoever. I think it's, 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 it's been great. I've, I've had a lot of very good um, media relations people to work with them and they've been very receptive, the coaches, the players, it's been nothing but positive uh, experiences with them. So you kind of touched on it a bit earlier in terms of it being a world program now, rather than being just to Canada, but even though it is essentially a world feed, you've, you've got to be skewing a bit more to Canada, don't you? Yeah, well, you know, we do, um, like Steve, we do treat like, a, like um, you know, you have your, you do have your world feed uh, aspect to it as our, our, our technical director is cutting for the world feed at the same time as cutting for the, for the, the host Canadian feed. So we're, there are, you know, what the, obviously, as you guys know, the, what, the, what, the, what the world sees will be different from what the Canadian fans see. So we can add our own flavor with, you know, with uh, Canadian specific player bumpers or, coming from back from break showing certain things that are definitely skewed Canadian or on a whistle. We, 
you know, especially early in tournament, you really want to get as many guys, their player bios in. So you definitely are skewing to Canada. And luckily more, more years off than not, their play is warranted that, you know, you get the challenges where uh, uh, a couple years ago in Vancouver, when, you know, the host team gets knocked out in the quarterfinals. So, you know, that, that definitely throws a wrench in your plans, but yeah, you, you do, you know, obviously we go into a game with far more storylines for the Canadians, but through the, you know, through the director and technical director, we can, we can give them a true uh, world feed and, and make it look less, uh, less Canadian centric. So for like show philosophies, I guess you, there's like kind of three mindsets, right? There's if Canada is pummeling a team, you know, or if Canada gets pummeled, uh, and then there's the worst one where Canada fails to make the medal round. How from a from a production philosophy and emotionally as well and mentally, how do you attack those shows, you know, given that it can be such a, a, a gamut of, of emotion and, and, and possibilities? I think from a network perspective, we'll always go into it saying just win the quarterfinal. You know, if you win the quarterfinal, mm-hmm. yeah. then you know you're you're getting a semi and you and you get a chance to play for you. You're getting two more Canada games, so that's the that is the goal. I really felt it in Vancouver when they lost that quarterfinal. Like you and I have been in, in yeah. doing games where yeah. it didn't quite go the way we wanted it, um, yeah. and there is that emotional. You know, if I could tell a quick story, when Paul mm-hmm. and I were doing our last playoff round that Paul and I had ever did together, and where it was in Minnesota and Colorado, and if yep. Colorado wins. We're looking forward to a two-week California, not vacation, but California. Yeah. I think it was going to be Kings uh, Ducks or King Sharks. Every time I hear this guy's name, it comes up. Nito Niederreiter scores in <laughs> overtime, and call, and Minnesota wins a series. And you could have heard a pin drop in the truck, but all I could hear next to me is Paul going, "Ready one, take one. Yeah. Ready two, take two. Like he was he was still working, but we were so so disappointed. And it, and, and, you know, but then in, in 2019, when they lost in the quarters, there was a big deflation. You know, it was, it was just such a shame because the, especially the manner which they lost because they had the game and blew it late and then lost in a horrific sequence in overtime. And it's, you know, you just gotta, you gotta turn around and gotta reset. I think, I think lessons learned again, I, I referenced back in 2016 in Helsinki, knowing how much it means to other teams and other countries you really got to switch your mindset. You're like, okay, they're out, but we're doing it for everybody else now. And mm-hmm. we got some great hockey ahead. So, you know, flip the switch. They, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't perform, but we can. Mm-hmm. Great point. So doing a tournament in a bubble in Edmonton is one thing, but what's the mindset or what are the challenges really when you do the tournament in Europe? Cause it's gotta be different than doing it in Canada. Uh, it definitely is. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I've had some great terms like in Winnipeg, Toronto and Montreal, especially but I really find the European tournaments, you know, it's really, it's a great bonding experience for the crew. It's, you really come together as everybody's enduring the same trials on the road. And it just has that feel, you know, that kind of like that Olympic feel where you're, you know, you're getting up every day, you're getting on a bus or you're getting, you know, there's a, there's a routine and you're getting to some small little rink. God, I remember back in 2007, I think in Lex and Mora, we did one rink that was about 500 people large and, it might have been about three people in a one year or one game, <laughs> but um, you know, so there are definitely challenges that um, you don't have the convenience factor. You don't have the, you know, maybe you don't have the the catering that's exactly up to snuff. Sometimes, if you look at the food and you go, uh, "What is that?" Yeah, <laughs> and I will say our our production managers have done a great job that the last few years. But I remember, God, Paul, I remember back in I think it was. I want to say it was 08, I think, in the Czech Republic when we mm-hmm. <laughs> we showed up for the lunchroom one time. And I think it was all it was was a, a bunch of uh, pale hot dogs in a, <laughs> in a big bucket of brine. And they looked at each other like, you know, I think I, I'm not that hungry today. I think it's the it's the inconvenience factor that you're not quite used to, you know. And but for most of like that, like technically, uh, especially with our guy now, Benny, Benoit Trudeau, um, our technical setups, I've, I've never found are lacking over there. We always have some great trucks. Uh, so I would say more than anything, it's, I think it's a positive thing to be honest. Uh, I, I don't find it so much, you know, challenging. Maybe, you know, some people don't get, you know, the accommodations, you know, you like something a little nicer if when you're in a smaller town, but that's, that's, you know, first world problems. Right. So to be honest, I, I really, really enjoy the opportunities to go overseas to do this tournament just as much as I do enjoy doing the domestic, uh, domestic versions. What's a harder game to produce Canada's opener or Canada for gold? Ooh, that's a good question, man. By the time it gets to 
can of gold. You've got so many reps under your belt and the adrenaline's kind of taken over that. Yeah, you know, I that's a very good question. I, I might say the opener just because you really want to get out of the gate, right? Uh, you know, you got a lot of eyeballs, especially this year. You know, there's the only competition, you know, we have is the NBA. Um, so I would say probably probably the first one. And good thing with this year is we do have uh, the, the several pre-tournament games will help us, uh, you know, helping us get uh, get our feet wet. But uh, yeah, I would say if uh, of the latter, just because of the 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 reps you do get and the adrenaline and you're really, by the time you get to the gold medal game, especially with our, our outstanding crew, it is, uh, I wouldn't say it's hard. I think it's more exciting than anything. You touched on it a little bit and you've got some pre-tournament games to work your way in, but it also means more games you're producing. By the time you get to the gold medal game, how like it's got to be your best show, but you might be tired and you might be a bit fried. How do you make sure it's your best production of the tournament? This year, especially I'll be, I'll be doing more games than ever doing out of the 38 pre-tournament and, and tournament games. I'll, I'll end up doing 28, uh, 28 games in 17 days. But you know what, Steve, I honestly, I get such a, uh, a rise and a thrill out of doing these that by the time it gets, I got like, honestly, it's like my body shuts down the, the second after the gold medal is handed out because the last couple of years I've, I've had um, on gold medal day, I've done a relegation game, then the bronze game, then a gold gold game. And that's by, been by choice just because I wanted to, uh, for one, I wanted to work with uh, a rookie director on the relegation games just to uh, feel them out and whatnot. The adrenaline's taken over at that point, And I honestly, I don't, I don't really feel tired until that last count off air. <laughs> and then, you know, the, 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 the post-tournament wrap-up party, all of a sudden about an hour in, it really hits me. All right, uh, Eddie, here's our last one. Talk about the pressure of sitting in the producer chair for Canada's opener on Boxing Day against Germany with all those cameras, tape machines, resources, responsibilities, crew, expectations, viewers, and you haven't really, you know, you haven't had a lot of reps in the last nine months. Mentally and emotionally, describe that feeling to our listeners. I'm of the mindset, and this is on a lot of gigs I do, is... You know, there are probably guys, there might be guys that prepare a little more, um, you know, with the paperwork and whatnot and, um, you know, the minutia and, and all the little, little details. I find my best, I'm at my best when I'm in the, I'm in the moment. When we get to that point, I've got such a rush and such an adrenaline kick to do the games that it takes over. I've got a, the crew that we have, honestly, I, I joke that. You know, a blind monkey could uh, can produce this thing <laughs> because we have all stars top to bottom at every single position. One great thing about this is this tournament is that we have, we have people who have done it, uh, technical people who have done it for up to twenty five years, and these are people who voluntarily give up their their holidays every year because they want to be part of this, and they're outstanding at what they do, just outstanding. So, you know, I when it gets to that point, I'm so excited to get going. I don't really feel the pressure. I just mm-hmm. feel the excitement to to uh, to get on air and, uh, you know, let's do this thing. Chris Edwards, we can hear the excitement in your voice. Have a great 2021 World Junior from Edmonton, and thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Paul, please, please, I'm begging you, tell me you did not eat any of those brined hot dogs in Czech Republic. <laughs> you know I did, steve You should have seen the stuff I put in my body in Europe for, as for what they called food. I'll never forget 2013 in Ufa at our hotel. They put out a beautiful breakfast buffet for us every morning. We'd head down, you know, stuff our face and then walk to the rink. But it was, I found it curious because they had spaghetti and meatballs out for the breakfast buffet, which is not really North American breakfast, right? Anyway, I got, I mean, you're there for like 16 days, so you got to mix it up, right? You can't eat yeah. the same thing every day. So yeah. I, I, one day I just tried the spaghetti and meatballs for breakfast and, uh, and uh, the meatballs just, they didn't taste like the meatballs that I'm used to eating at home. So through the voice of a translator, I asked the kitchen to, if they could kindly tell me, like, what kind of meat was it? You know, I'd like to know. Like, it just sort of had a bit of a taste to it. And uh, they told me it's horse meat. So I had eaten horse meat and meatballs and spaghetti for breakfast. <laughs> and then went to sit in a truck for like 14 hours to direct three hockey games. Yeah. Yeah, so Europe is uh, was always an adventure. After that, I just stuck to a Diet Coke and Mars bar for breakfast. That was it. See, if you'd read the menu, it probably said Seabiscuit. 
yeah. or man of war or something on the menu. If you to look yep. closely, right? You yep. got it. It's the details, Paul. It's I know the details. I love that Eddie referred to the fact that he said at one point he said the phrase, this is the goal getting Canada to win their quarterfinal. That wouldn't be the team's goal, but it would be television's goal, right? Which is weird. Like, why would television have a goal? All you're doing is broadcasting a tournament, but it really completes the picture for TV if Canada can do that when you're broadcasting to Canada, right? Absolutely, yeah. That That is the goal, to have Canada play in the final game of the tournament. Anything short of that, you're, you're emotionally invested in it, even though you're doing a world feed and you're supposed to be neutral. I mean, let's face it, right? You, you know, if it's Canada playing Russia, you know, you want Canada to win. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, anything short of any, anything short of that is uh, it's tough. It's tough to, to, to rally yourself and get that emotional investment back. Eddie said he's going to do 28 games in 17 days. That is absolutely nuts. It reminds me of working at the Winter Olympics in 94 in Norway, where we did a shift every day for like 22 straight days. You've done that. In those tournaments, obviously, would you have done 28 and 17? Would you have done that many? Uh, I don't think so, because that really started in 2010 when Paul Graham took over. Before that, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't we, we would do Canada and maybe USA because if NHL Network was there right. or we or if Russia called and said, hey, we made the semifinals, we want to do this, take the semi in the in our bronze or gold game. So we would get extra games added to our schedule, but it wasn't the marathon, you know, that was post 2010. So I only experienced that. Well, I mean, I experienced it in uh, only really like maybe 2010, 2011, because TSN was really good about having a second crew. Uh, in a non-COVID year, there'd be a, a second crew, a second producer, second director that would do the non-Canada games. I could see you doing the calculation there. I thought you were going to pull out an abacus, but you didn't. And the other thing Eddie told us after we finished the interview is when he got to Edmonton, he had to wear a Hockey Canada low jack on his ankle for four days in the hotel room. So Hockey Canada could make sure he didn't leave the hotel room and he got tested every single day. And during the tournament, He's going to be tested every single day for COVID. That is a big commitment from the broadcast team. And welcome to 2020. It's a new world and uh, it's going to take a lot to get adjusted to. I'll tell you, because, you know, when you do as many games as you do and, and, and on and, and this tournament and, and like they are most of the times when the tournament's in North America, Canada will always play the last game of the day. You've spent every single ounce of emotional, physical, and mental energy. When you're done and you finally get back to your room and drop off your bag, you just want to go out for a, a beer or two beers and then go back to your room and pass out. But it'll be different to be to be confined the way that they have to be confined. Uh, it will definitely add to the anxiety and the and the and the pressures and the stresses that go with working this tournament. Steve-O, we could not do this show uh, without speaking to the voice of the World Juniors on TSN, Gord Miller. It really has become the voice. So Jim Hewson called the first tournament, which we talked about on TSN in 1991. Paul Romanuk called the next 10 tournaments from 1992 to 2001 on TSN. And then Gord took over. Yeah, Gord took over in 2002 uh, in Raditz Krelova, Czech Republic, and uh, has done it every year since then. Steve-O, he's he's committed guy to international hockey, not, not just on the TSN World Junior uh, broadcasts. In, in fact, in 2013, Gordo earned the Paul Luwak Award, which is the IHF's highest honor for outstanding contributions to the IHF and international ice hockey. So the waters run deep for Gord in international hockey. And if anybody deserved that award, it is Gord. So Gordo, we worked 13 straight tournaments together. Tell me your strongest memory from that first one that you called this play-by-play back in 2002 in Czech Republic. It's funny because the thing I remember most about it was how awful the hotel was. <laughs> um, funny enough, we stayed in Raditz Kralova. The food was all boiled. Everything was boiled. So salmon, boiled. Potatoes, boiled. And so it got so bad that I actually went to a store, bought a pot, bought pasta and sauce. It was making myself spaghetti. And I wound up cooking for the Canadian players who were staying at our hotel. Rick Nash would come by and knock on the door and be like, got any spaghetti ready? So was, <laughs> Stan, Stan Butler, the coach, was so horrified that I was spending so much time with the players. I said, Stan, they want to eat. <laughs> um, I remember that. Um, I remember Alexander Svitov spitting on Brian Sotheby in the handshake lineup. 
so that was Sotheby was a first round pick of Washington. Svitov was a, a Tampa draft, I think. And I always I wanted to do the first Tampa Washington NHL game they played against each other to see what would happen. <laughs> so you're really never home at Christmas, Gord. How do you celebrate it? Do you do you do it early? Do you do it late? Do you not do it? What do you do? I've done 25 World Juniors. This is my 26th. Uh, I've spent one Christmas at home. That was the 2017 tournament where the round robin was in Toronto. So what I do, like, so my daughter and I had our, our early Christmas a couple of weeks ago. You know, my family came a lot of times to the tournament. You know, I would never complain about working Christmas Day. Lots of people do, right? Police officers, firemen, people that work in hospitals, theater rushers. I mean, there's all kinds of people that work Christmas Day. So I, w- I would never complain about it. I do it every year. I'm, I'm kind of used to it. So it's, it's just been an adjustment. I mean, my daughter's been to 12 rural juniors, right, all over the world. So for her, it's kind of a thrill. She's disappointed she can't come this year because of the bubble, but she wants to be there next year. What does working this tournament mean to you? Literally not a week goes by over the course of the year. Not a week, like middle of July can be any time that someone doesn't mention the world junior to me. And I think the greatest compliment that I can get and that our crew gets is when people say you're a big part of our family's holiday season, you know, whether it's boxing day or whatever day it is, you know, we tune you guys in. It's, it's a big part of us getting together for the holidays. So that, that to me is the greatest honor that we have with that, that we, that we are invited into people's homes and, and people consider us part of that. It's a, it's a great challenge to do it. It's hard to do. It's new players for the most part every year that people don't know much about. So you have to, you know, sort of introduce people to the players from all the different countries, but I really enjoy it. It's, I mean, I'm very fortunate to have, you know, an event, a property that, that sort of is attached to me and attached to us as a network. So I think it's a, it's a great honor. So you touched on how hard it is to do it. If you had to focus on one thing that makes it difficult, the real, the biggest challenge that you have, I assume it's not working with Ray Ferraro, but it could be. What's the biggest challenge you have with, with calling this tournament every year? Well, I think it, it's twofold. It's, it's number one, preparing for it. So, so, you know, remembering, you know, getting to know the names and, and learning the players, it's going to be different this year, you know, because normally I do, I do one group, you know, Ray and I do one group and, and Dennis Bayak and Craig Button do the other. This year, because all the games are in one arena, we're going to jump back and forth. So instead of preparing for five teams to start with, I've got to prepare for 10. And again, if you said to me, you know, if, if the three of us, if someone said, hey, guys, you know, the crew can't make it. You guys have to do the Toronto-Ottawa game tonight in the NHL. You know, we could do it. You know, it wouldn't be that hard. Showing up cold to a World Junior game would be impossible. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you, because you just don't know the players well enough. And so I think that's the biggest challenge. So, that, so number one is the preparation. And then number two is to execute it. You can do all the preparation you want, but you need to then execute the broadcast. And that, you know, last year, for example, you know, in the gold medal game, we had that, that clearance, clearance attempt by Canada hit the, hit the, the camera. Right. And you got to know the rule there that the officials made the right call there, that that camera is technically in play. And so striking it is not a penalty. So all those things, you know, you don't get a second try at it. So you have to make sure that you, you get it right. You know, the IHF rules have some differences to the NHL that you have to remember. So I think that's the two biggest challenges. You can do all the preparation you want. If you don't execute it, it doesn't matter. You can execute it as well as you want. If you didn't do the preparation, that doesn't matter. So, Gord, just following up to your point there on preparation, uh, of all the commentators I've worked with, you more so than anybody else are a stickler for A, preparation, but B, correct pronunciation or player ID as well. So a tournament like this must present a multitude of challenges. How and when do you prepare on getting all these uh, Euro names uh, correct and buttoned down for, uh, for the start of your tournament? Yeah, not just the European names, the Canadian names too, right? I mean, some of those can be tricky, or American names. Remember Brady Shea the one year and Shane Goss despair? But yeah. here's the thing I would say, first of all, language is not a precise thing. My mom used to teach English as a second language to new Canadians, and she'd say, singular to plural is very easy. House, houses. Mouse, mice. Goose, geese. <laughs> moose, moose. What's so hard about that, right? So... That's the language, right? So there's not, but here's the thing. We don't say Roma. We don't say Paris. Mm -hmm. We don't say München. We say Rome. We say Paris. 
we say Munich. So we do anglicize to a point. As the tournaments evolve, as languages evolve, we tried harder and harder to say to players, we'll say your name the way you say it. But for example, the Detroit Red Wings star in Russian was Sergei Fedorov. That's Sergei Fedorov. Mm -hmm. So so how do we how do we walk that line? So what we try to do, we do anglicize to an extent, but we also recognize linguistic differences. For example, AR in Czech is Ash. So remember, Stan, that's mm -hmm. cash. Right, right. N-E-C-K-A-R. But mm -hmm. C-K is T and A-R is Ash. So we do recognize linguistic differences. We try to pronounce them as closely as possible to the way they would while recognizing there are some linguistic differences, we do anglicize them somewhat. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of what we try to do. Now, invariably, if you ask a European how they want their name pronounced, they will say, I don't care. We're broadcasters. I mean, I can say your name any way you want. So I, I would like it to be where a player would say, you know, this is how I say my name. But my friend Simon Semberg in Europe, uh, former VP of the IHF, you know, insists we keep pronouncing these names wrong. Said, but the players tell us how to say them. So in the 06 World Junior in Vancouver, it was a Canadian player that we got the most grief about, Andrew Cogliano. Italian Canadians were pounding us with emails and phone calls saying it's Cogliano. So he says Cogliano. Talk to him, talk to his dad, talk to his grandfather. That's not my fault. It's not my fault that Dino Cicerelli says it that way. It's not my fault that Brett Favre says it that way. <laughs> it is not an exact science is the best way to answer it. But since we're saying their names first, we try to say it in the way that we think it'll most likely be said in the NHL. So this year is a bit of an anomaly. But in a regular year, when you get maybe a day or two off during the World Junior, what do you what do you like to do? Do you just sit in your room and cook pasta in a pot for rick nash when he flies over and says hey how you doing or do you get out and see the sights what do you do on that day off i do both yeah i mean obviously as you mentioned steve this is going to be different this year we we're not able to go out yeah normally i i think two things number one rest is really important uh exercise is really important and yeah get out a little bit and see the place I'm, i've been very fortunate to see you know some great cities in europe and in north america and to get out for dinner and do some things so yeah i think that's kind of the big thing i mean the number one thing you don't want to do is get sick the world junior is very hard on my throat there have been some gold medal games where if the thing had gone to overtime i'm not sure i would have made it <laughs> but um and, and last year was one of them yeah i think that for the most part rest exercise and yeah get out a little bit and, and see the thing you know you we do so many games now that you're so immersed in the tournament it's it's just you know it, it becomes sort of a by the end of the thing, you can barely remember the beginning because it's it's so you know, you're so focused on the day to day. So trip down memory lane here, Gordo, of all the tournaments that you've been a part of, either reporting on, hosting on, play by play. What's your favorite memory? Can you nail it down to one? You know, I, I get asked that a lot, and it's it's everyone is unique and different. The one I get asked the most about is is the Eberly game in, in two thousand nine. That World Junior in Ottawa was was really incredible for a lot of reasons. You know, Pat Quinn coaching Team Canada uh, because Benoit Grew had agreed to coach the team, but he took a job in the American League that August. So they called on Pat Quinn to coach the team. The New Year's Eve game between Canada and the United States was one of the greatest games I've ever seen at the World Junior. Um, you know, Canada got down 3 nothing early. Pat Quinn called timeout, made a joke. He said, hey, guys, have you forgotten how to play? And then <laughs> double-shifted John Tavares. Just kept rolling out John Tavares. And they came back to win that game. James Van Riemsdyk of Team USA clotheslined a Canadian player who was coming back to celebrate at the bench. And from this day, from that day forward now, the linesmen, even at the NHL level, stop teams from doing the flyby in front of the other team bench. They have to kind of come in at an angle. So that, so you're thinking that's the great, that was probably to that point, the greatest world junior game I'd ever call until four days later, you got the Eberly game. Mm -hmm. And, and that game was astonishing in so many ways. So that tournament was incredible uh, for the games. I mean, Eric Carlson and Victor Hedman playing for the Swedes. So the talent level was unbelievable. The competition was great. The attendance, the crowd, you know, in Ottawa was astonishing. And and you had, you know, the Canada-Russia game 
with the Eberly goal and all that went around it. So I guess if I had to pick one, that would be it. Based on what you know right now, what do you think Canada's chances are in this tournament? Well, you know, they're always good. This is single elimination hockey. These tournaments in the IHF, whether it's the World Junior, the World Championship, the Olympics, are single elimination. So if you think about Scotty Bowman's greatest NHL team, you know, the 76-77 Montreal Canadiens, they lost two playoff games. So, I mean, you lose a playoff game in the quarterfinal, you're out. So I would think, you know, Canada has an excellent chance. The Russians have a really, really good team. You know, they haven't won a gold medal in a decade, which is hard to believe. But they're very good. And Igor Larionov, you know, is a first-time head coach. But I think he brings a lot of knowledge and calm to that bench. I would say, yeah, what are Canada's chances? They're good. But there's no locks in this thing anymore. So, Gord, TSN's coverage on this has has escalated tenfold or hundredfold over the years. It used to be that they didn't do all the Canadian games to doing just the Canadian games. And now it's it's every game. It is really... Uh, you know, a March Madness type event on ice. Talk about the popularity that TSN and the coverage of this tournament has, has, has provided throughout the world. One of the great myths about the World Junior is that only Canada cares. And um, we're told by the Russians that the ratings for last year's gold medal game were some 36 million people. It was the highest rated sporting event of the year in Russia. So in, in Sweden, in Finland, in Russia, in the Czech Republic, the interest in this tournament is immense. It's growing in the United States, and of course, it's, it's big in Canada. But the idea that TSN created the World Junior, I, I think, is, is a bit of a misnomer. We, we began in 1991. We were the first to show every Canadian game, and that made a big difference, to see them from start to finish. And, and that year, of course, had the amazing finish between Canada and the then Soviet Union in Saskatoon and the John Slaney goal. The same producers, the same directors, the same marketing people have tried this with other sports, like university sports in Canada, and it just didn't work. So you can't take nothing and turn it into something. You have to have a good product. And this is a tremendous product. It's kids playing in the holidays for their country. It's future NHL stars. It's all of that. So I think that it's a really good product. We've just exposed it. And I think that the popularity of it worldwide is a testament to how good the tournament is. Gord Miller, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it and have a great World Junior on TSN. And Steve, I will I will betray a confidence here. Um, you do tremendous work for us on the research end of it and a lot of the background, and uh, we couldn't do it without you. So thanks to both of you for having me on. Thank you. All right, so full disclosure, uh, Gord mentioned that uh, I do some work for TSN for the World Juniors. I do I do their research deck for all their international hockey properties. First tournament I did was the 2015 Senior Men's Worlds, and I've done the World Junior since 2016, so this is my sixth. I will send the TSN production team about 430 unique pages for this tournament, and they can do with it as they wish. And my favorite part of Gord Miller's chat there was talking about making spaghetti for Rick Nash in the hotel. You, Paul, must have had a billion funny moments in the 16 years you did the World Juniors. Can you pick one? Mm, pick one. Uh, I mean, you're right. It's uh, I have a Rolodex. Uh, uh, Rolodex. That's a that's a that's a seventies term. I have a, a computer file worth of memories uh, in my mind. <laughs> about world juniors but there is one steve that i'll pull out of the pile that is a good story the 2010 world juniors which were in saskatchewan uh, so that's december of 2009 january of two, uh, 2010 right canada played uh their exhibition games uh, they did a barnstorming tour in saskatchewan and they ended their exhibition games or pre-tournament games i guess they're called uh in regina and so uh we were staying uh in the same hotel uh, as team Canada uh, in Regina for their last ex uh, last pre-tournament game. Right. After the game, the night after the game, uh, team Canada headed up, they took off and, and went up to Saskatoon, which is uh, where Canada's pool was because there was a pool in Regina, but anyway, right. so, so they're, they're on their team. Canada's already up. They're nestled into their hotel nicely in Saskatoon. And, and I, you know, so I wake up, all I have to do the next day is just pack up my car and, and drive from Regina to Saskatoon. And I've got this little, little tiny compact uh you know it's it's no bigger than a smart car really <laughs> and uh and my phone rings early in the morning 
the day after the game, and it's Brad Pascal. Brad uh, it was with Hockey Canada at the time. He's now the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames. Cassie Brad, Campbell's husband. That's right, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Cassie. So uh, anyway, so Brad calls me, and he's he's sort of like the – he oversees all the day-to-day minutia for Team Canada uh, back then. So, he, you know, I would call him, he was sort of like the team's general manager, really. So he calls me, he's like, he's like, he's like Chopper, Chopper. He goes, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm in the hotel in Regina. What's, what, what's up, Brad? And he goes, oh, okay, great. He goes, I need you to do me a huge favor. And I'm like, oh, what's that, Brad? And he goes, we forgot the team jackets at the hotel in Regina. Oh my God. Like in a closet somewhere? No, like in like those, you know, the concierge lockup storage room. Right. Right. So he's like, I need you to bring the jackets for me to Saskatoon. All the team jackets, everybody. Right. I'm like, and I, my, me, I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem, Brad. Absolutely. I'm driving up there today. You know, we're at the same hotel in Saskatoon. I'll just pack it up, pack them up and I'll meet you up there. He's like, great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Click. I see a potential issue here. The fact you used the word compact car, I think is going to play into this. <laughs> I come down, check out of the hotel. I wheel over and there's like five bellhop carts by the front door stacked with boxes. And I, I, I mean, I'm just dragging my roller duffel. And I got my computer bag and I'm like, I'm looking at the boxes. I'm looking at the car. I'm looking at the boxes. I'm looking at the car. I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. So anyway, we sit in there. Long story short, we had to rip all the jackets out of the boxes and we were literally just sandwiching them <laughs> into the car. It was so bad, Steve, that the jackets were from the floor to the ceiling in the all the way around me. I was basically enshrined in the driver's seat. There, I couldn't see a thing from like from from my noon to the, my right. I couldn't see a thing, and uh, you should have seen the looks I got on the highway driving between Regina and Saskatchewan. It, it looked like it was it looked like a clown car, just full of instead of clowns, they were the Team Canada jackets. All I got in my head is like John Candy in plane, trains, and automobiles, and mm-hmm. that's you just bumping your way from Regina to Saskatchewan. Was it like about two and a half? That must have been nice. Yeah, it was two and a half. Yeah, with just me and every single one of Team Canada's jackets. But you did it, baby. You did it. Got to deliver the mail, Steve. I was lucky enough to be around the Edmonton Oilers in the 1980s when they did a million things that we'll remember forever. But when you worked in the World Junior, Paul, you must have had some moments that that just crystallized in your head. And you thought, I can't believe I'm here to actually cut the pictures for how everybody's going to remember this. Right. It's true. You don't think about it at the time. Uh, you know, because you're going through it, you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. But after a couple of weeks after you're sitting at home with a glass of red wine and you're like, wow, I cannot believe that I was part of that. And, you know, to be in the director's chair for iconic Canadian hockey moments, you know, whether that be good, you know, Canada's five straight gold from 2005 to 2009, yeah. the bad Mark Andre's clearing attempt off Braden Coburn in 2004 that cost him the gold against the USA. Why would you bring that up? Why would you bring Sorry. that up? And then the ugly 2011 epic gold medal game collapse versus Russia. You know, to be the guy providing the pictures that will, you know, live forever uh, and, in, 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 you know, indelible memories in Canadian hockey fans' minds. It's an honor and it's a privilege. And you can't think of it at the time, right? Because then you lose your focus and it's like, I'm just doing the best job I can do at the moment and I will worry about this later. (laughs) Exactly. All right, Paul, time for our usual Q&A segment to end the show. What have you got, my friend? That's right, Steve. Q&A time presented by Conquest Hockey, uncompromising premium hockey apparel. And Steve, it's ironic, but today's question comes to us from Alberta, site of this year's tournament. Uh, Alyssa Green from Cochrane, Alberta, would like to know, is TSN using the same fake crowd noise that the NHL used in the Edmonton bubble? First off, Alyssa, I'm very jealous if you get to live in Cochrane. What a beautiful town, right in the foothills, northwest of Calgary. Bears Paw Golf Club is near Cochrane. Did a tournament there one time, Jack Nicholas and Jim Nelford. TSN will be using the same synthetic audio or synth audio that the National Hockey League used in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, EA Sports contributes that sound and TSN will be using exactly the same sound, but there will be visual differences in TSN's coverage of the tournament. Right, Paul? Yes, that's right. Uh, All the uh, in-house monitors or TV screens that you saw during the Stanley Cup playoffs, they have been removed. 
However, the IHF and Hockey Canada caught a break. The blue tarps that were down to cover the empty seats in the lower bowl, they kind of lucked out, and the blues matched the blues in the double IHF tournament logo for this year. So they rebranded those tarps, repurposed them, so you'll see those covering the seats in the lower bowl. But Steve, I am really excited that they decided to, to use the synth audio. You know, home ice, uh, you know, having the tournament Canada, home ice advantage, you know, normally that place would be standing room only with a partisan crowd cheering for Team Canada. So at least there'll be a little bit of that, albeit electronically, but we will we'll capture a little bit of that on the broadcasts. That's a good point. It's probably going to be tough for the kids, right? Playing with no fans, I would think. And you know what? I understand Hockey Canada's decision because their mandate, and you can talk to this a little better than I can, their mandate is to make money for minor hockey. It's not to spend it on giant big screens hovering over the ice and any other flourishes and optics that might make it look better to the fan, but that's not putting money in the pockets that need to have that money from Hockey Canada, right? Yeah, exactly. Minor hockey from coast to coast in Canada relies on on Hockey Canada. And so Hockey Canada's number one commandment is always to look after grassroots. And they're doing so with the decisions that they made for this tournament. Anyway, that concludes uh, our Q&A portion of this episode. Uh, again, Q&A presented by Conquest Hockey. For all your premium hockey apparel needs, check them out today at conquesthockey.co and use the promo code INSIDE15 for 15% off your next order. So that'll put a wrap on E16. Remember, if you have not already done so, hit the subscribe button on your favorite platform. Don't forget to follow Inside the Truck on Twitter. Inside the Truck podcast on Instagram to keep up with what's going on with the show. And you can subscribe to our all new Inside the Truck YouTube channel for bonus content. I'm Steve. He's Paul. That's it for 2020. Got to be a great 2021 because it can't be any worse than 2020. We got a great Inside the Truck version of Old Lang Syne from our musical director, Jeff Kozak. So we're going to ring out with that and a couple of chuckles with some of our outtakes. We do have outtakes. It's not all peaches and cream. We don't nail it every time. Right, Paul? Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> well, you nailed that one. San Antonio, San Antonio Sharks. They're a new team in the league. <laughs> yeah, Hang on, you didn't you know, know that, did you? But no, they moved I, well, you know what? These things happen. 425 squadron three ring cfb three ring that's the wrong thing it's three wing <laughs> that's another outtake jumbo roll an instantaneous video package used to go to a commercial break <laughs> steve or sorry uh mr peep no i'm sorry sherman <laughs> now i'm all confused uh it, let's do it again that was gold <laughs> I thought you were going to save that. I really did. And then no. And now you can subscribe to our Inside the Tran Inside the Trannel Chuck on YouTube for bonus content. I would say keep that, but nobody will ever find us. <laughs> hey, Steve, what does, what is the English? No, one more time. Here we go. This is This is the ultimate curveball. Oh, my God. All right, here we go. Hey, Steve, what's the English translation for old anxiety? I have absolutely no idea. It's times long past, like the total running time on this episode. <laughs> but you know what? It's over right now.